Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Vox Populi, Vox Dei, is that where America is heading? Dana White says trust him amid the Bud Light boycotts and then him taking Bud Light's money, so they're totes patriotic now. And Harvard made its choice, and the future of academia is exactly what at this point. I'm Andrew Coppins, and it's a WTF Wednesday edition of Critical Thinking. Yes, we have a ton to get to. In fact, we've had so much already this week that there's just not a lot that uh, we can really dive into today that wouldn't also be needed to be dived into tomorrow. So there's a lot of stuff that we won't be covering today that we likely will need to be covering tomorrow. Just know that whatever topic you're hoping and praying that we talk about today and we don't is likely to be talked about tomorrow. By the way, you can follow me on X on Facebook at The Coppin Show. You can always make sure that you are downloading, rating, reviewing, subscribing, following, whatever, on whatever podcasting platform that you like. As always, this show will air on X, as well as our Rumble channel, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. And in this season of Christmas, we're not asking for your money, although if you would like to help the program, help myself, help Pat, who's in the background doing work these days as well. But if you would like for this show to continue to grow and you feel like you would like to donate to the cause, you can do so at criticalthinking.locals.com. You can go there. You can become a subscriber. Uh, I believe it's $3 a month is what we're asking for. Um, you can donate any amount of money. You can do it on a yearly basis. You can do it on a monthly basis, whatever floats your boat. But folks, we, we're not even asking for that. We are just simply asking, making sure that you are following us, that you are subscribing to the various platforms, because that is exactly how we grow. The more of you that get an opportunity to see this program, the more the algorithms and more the things that uh, show up in popularity searches and all that stuff will matter. But speaking of popularity, Vox Populi, Vox Dei for America. 
Now, what does the saying Vox Populi, Vox Dei mean? Well, first of all, it's actually part of a broader proverb or saying that was written uh, by Lucian, who was writing to Charlemagne in the year, I believe, 1798 or 1789. I believe it's 1798. Saying the following. Basically, the translation is this. And those people should not be listened to who keep saying the voice of the people is the voice of God, since the righteousness of the crowd, excuse me, since the riotousness of the crowd is always very close to madness. Again, and those people should not be listened to who keep saying the voice of the people is the voice of God, since the riotousness of the crowd is always very close to madness. Now, if we take apart the saying, especially because in Latin you kind of have to, you have to understand that there are bits that mean something a little bit different, and then when you put them together, they have a third or fourth or even fifth meaning. But basically what it means is the voice of the people, voice of God. But in history, it's largely never been the voice of the people versus the voice of God. It's been the voice of the people versus the voice of the state. Now, we can say that in, I don't know, medieval times or the Enlightenment period or whatever have you, the the voice of the state was kind of shoved down your throat from the perspective of, this is also the voice of God, right? The divine right of kings and, and all of that sort of stuff. We can talk about all of that, and that's all fine. But think French Revolution, if you will. And I have a question as we go forward on today's program, and I want you to ponder this as a critical thinker. Are we heading for a French Revolution in America? I want you to keep that in mind as we talk through all of the stories here on WTF Wednesday, all of the things that we're going to discuss today. And also let us remember that our revolution was not the French Revolution. In fact, largely speaking, they were antithetical to each other. There's a very good reason why they were different, and thus America's revolution being unique and its story is unique in human history. Ours was one that was far from the up the proletariat or viva la France, if you will. But one that actually put God at the center, noted God's rightful place, that God is God, not the state, not a man or woman or whatever representing some sort of divinity from God. And that we, the people, are not God either. That's how we fought a war, but never really turned on each other and began some sort of reign of terror, right? There was no turn on the populace and, and, and go crazy on them. There was no, we won the battle, we dispo or deposed the king and threw off the yoke of the, the colonization from England, and then we turned on this group or that group or, or whatever have you, right? 
unlike the French Revolution, which threw off the yoke of that government, and then the reign of terror. Do you, do you see the difference here? But today, let me ask you another simple question that is actually related to the are we about to do the French Revolution question I asked before. This question being, are we seeking relevance with the Vox Populi or with God? And it's an important question to answer because if the answer is the Vox Populi and not God, can our republic stand? So keep these questions in mind. Think through them as I think through them with you here. Too often I find that we're actually, well, we're not actually attempting to transform our culture, right? And that's part and parcel of this Vox Populi versus God-centered argument. Are we going the French Revolution? The French Revolution was about what? Attempting to gain relevance within the broader culture and the broader populace, if you will, right? It was mob mentality. So let me ask you this. Is our society centered on God or is it centered on relevance within the culture? Literally from almost any perspective, let me ask you that. Because too often I find that we aren't actually attempting to use culture to transform to God, but we're obsessed with becoming part of whatever the culture is today. We seek the followers, the the likes, the clothing, the music, pop culture references of today's rot-gutted world. Go look at your Christian megachurches. Look at the palaces. I, I mean totally reverent churches and the pastors, the lights, the sound production, the sprawls of campuses across suburbia and exurbia and the shoe collections and the multi-million dollars and the multi-million dollar budgets and the reverence for this clothing line or looking this way or that way or or the the $10,000 suits versus the ones off the rack that you can just get tailored for a couple hundred dollars or however we're actually living. Look at the people that are up on the stage or have the presence of the microphone in the pulpit or whatever have you at your mega church that you attend. As I call it, the church of me. Because it's all about me, 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 being centered on me, 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 me. Never the actual word of God, but hey, I digress. Look at how many of us, even in my own Catholic faith, look at how many of us are seeking out and yearning for the relevance of the culture today. We're not interested in using the culture Well, by and large, we're not interested in using the culture to transform. We're actually 
wanting to have the culture transform us. But there are some of us who are wondering when God is going to show us that this current Vox Populi Pope is a heretic, and then we can be done with him, right? Expose his heresy. Well, the answer for me is, and and many people that talk about this inside my faith community, I always answer it this way. The answer is probably not until we demand the church return to faithfulness in the Lord. It is not, this is our punishment. This is our, if you look at it biblically, this is our, hey, I'm trying to wake you up moment. I'm trying to make you realize it's time to return to righteousness. It is time to return away or turn away from relevance and culture in the terms of we have to be transformed by culture instead of transforming culture or using culture for transformative messaging. That's not what's going on here. So I often answer the question of, is this God's punishment for the Catholic Church losing its way? The answer is probably yes. And the sooner that the people inside the faith say no more, no mas, and turn away from that and turn to God and demand that the Pope turn to God and pray for his return to a righteous and God-centered faithfulness, the sooner and better that will be. But let's also look outside of my Catholic faith to let's look at the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant group out there, right? Has it turned to conventional wisdom, quote-unquote? Or has it turned to seeking to take conventional wisdom and flip it on its head? Because conventional wisdom today is not really wisdom of God. It is wisdom of the devil, in my view. And large parts of the Southern Baptist Convention would say the same thing, except for what have we seen from that Southern Baptist Convention? It attempting to swallow up and chew out and spit out the current culture or to be swallowed up by the current culture? I'll let you be the judge and you can do your own research on that. But largely I see it not following God, but seeking to gain the approval of what? Vox Populi. For crying out loud, let me think about this and let you think about this. When's the last time you thought, hmm, that person is standing up in a righteous manner. That person is standing up to the culture. That person is saying no to the state. In fact, I find that message happening not here in America, but elsewhere. Look at Pastor Kelvin Robinson from England facing defrocking from the Church of England, and you can say whatever you want to say about the Anglican Church and and everything like that. I understand that. I've got my druthers, obviously, with all of that. I mean, Catholic, Protestant, Church of England, Catholic Church, kind of this whole thing that was fought over for 
literally centuries in England, but I digress. But look at church ministers in Canada who have more gumption than 99% of the podcasting, broadcasting pastors of America have. Said, no, no to Canada. No to your police state. No to the state is God. No, God is God, and we're going to worship God as we see fit during COVID, right? And look at the, look at the prices paid. And let me ask you a very simple question here. Does the state fear the pastor, the priest, the bully pulpit of the church? Or has the state transformed the church more broadly into its subject? Now, to be fair, the Catholic Church and trads or traditional Catholics, adherents of the traditional Latin Mass, they apparently have put the fear of God into the state because we know what about the FBI being dragged in front of of uh, uh, Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, dragged in front of church, I mean the Senate, to explain why it was attempting to turn priests against their parishioners in a very copycat mode of what they did with the imams and uh, the mosques over the last 25, 30 years or so. Now, sadly, apparently some of the priests have fallen for this move and cooperated and and given over to the spirit of the age instead of saying, no, I serve God, I don't serve you. That's the good news, that some priests do have that gumption. I think a great example of this is actually uh, now former Bishop Strickland in Tyler, Texas, who stood up to the Pope, who stood up to the state, who stood up to all sorts of the vox populi within the Catholic Church and more broadly culture, spoke what is considered traditional Christian conservative values in quote-unquote defiance of the Pope's edicts because he was serving not the Pope but God's words and God's work. This idea that you submit to every whim of every pope of all time is antithetical to Catholicism because we serve just one master. We believe that what? The pope is supposed to be the representation of that lineage back to to, uh, Paul and the church more broadly, and God's divine or divinity within Jesus Christ and the church and all of that. But that doesn't mean when the Pope is doing the work of the devil here on earth, you just submit. That would be wrong too. And we've seen examples of this throughout history. It's why you see popes be dispo- uh, deposed and and um, all the intrigue and things of that nature that have happened throughout time. 
But when you're doing the righteous and you're serving God first, that's a good thing. But are we using, are we using these examples to transform culture to something that's good and right and righteous? Or are we being consumed by the culture? I say, until the powers that be, whether that's inside or outside of the church, actually fear God in his representatives instead of the other way around. We are in some serious trouble, even as quote-unquote faithful people. But again, are we going to go full-on French Revolution? Or are we going to go restoring or reviving liberty in the proper place of God, state, and society? Will we stop chasing popularity and full cues, full pews, excuse me, while giving up ourselves to the devil's work? Or are we going to care more about the righteousness and fulfillment in the Lord over those clicks, views, likes on social media as well? Now, none of this is to say, again, that we don't have to, that we shouldn't be involved in culture, that we shouldn't be using the tools that we need to pull away from culture. No. We should be using the tools given to the culture. That it's not what I'm saying is pull away and, and and go somewhere else. No, that is not what I'm saying. In fact, what I am saying is that we cannot become the rot gut of the culture. What I am saying is that we have to be transformative. We have to have a different message. We have to speak differently, but using the tools of the time. For instance, the printing press. For instance, uh, all throughout history, pamphlets, pulpits, uh, speeches, video, blah, 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 blah. It should be used, but used how? If we see the culture being good, if we see the culture you know, more broadly being right and righteous, speak to that. Become part of that. Become part of that message. When it's running astray, like it is now for sure, the spirit of the age and not the spirit is running the culture. You know, a great example, Jack Harlow um, on Thanksgiving Day, halftime of the Detroit Lion-Green Bay Packer game, right? In one two-minute segment, he talks about being a child of God and God this and God that and then says, I'm smacking the rear end of your girlfriend as we engage in coitus. Huh? That's the example of the spirit of the age. It's using the messengers or supposed messengers of faithfulness, righteousness, and flipping them on their heads. Now, there are great examples of some of this happening. You can look maybe towards the Daily Wire, but that's more of a um, political, cultural thing. But let me use examples of things like Father Mike Schmidt and one of the most popular podcasts in the world today, which is the Bible in a Year. Now, you can talk all you want about how um, it's hard to follow and people don't, you know, they fall off the wagon somewhere along the line and blah, 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 blah. I don't care about that. 
What I care about is, is this using the tools of culture today to do something different, to open people's eyes and ears to a different message, to a message centered on God in their lives? Yes, yes it is. We could talk about the Catholic talk show. We could talk about podcasts or YouTube shows or Rumble shows or whatever have you. There's a difference between using the culture and being used by the culture. And for me, the when you take a look at the, the mega churches, their messaging, by and large, for me, when you look at the church of me, that's what you need to ask. Is your pastor up there on the pulpit with the lights and the sounds and the, the rock and roll band? Is, is that person giving you a message that's rooted in actual God, or is it a message rooted in you do you, boo? The you do you, boo version of church is the culture rotting the messenger and the message. Far too often in today's world. That's why I really do support the the message of Great American Family, Great American Christmas going on right now and all that. Because it actually does attempt to use culture, to use the means and methods of culture today, to speak to a transformative message, to deliver it whether you are seeing it right in your face or not, whether it's subtle or in your face. It is a transformative message. Now, putting a more relatable face on a message is great. There's nothing wrong with being more relatable. I'm not saying that when I talk about these overproduced, in my view, churches. I'm not saying that you don't put a relatable face on a message. That's no, that is all right. As long as the message is the center, as long as the message is about God and not you or me or they or him or her or whatever. We need more of the message being the same and delivered differently, delivered via TikTok or delivered this way or that way. Too often we're afraid that we have to pull away from culture because we believe it to have been rotted. Well, how about we just showcase that we're also creative, we're also innovative, we're also capable of putting culture out there and a message that can be centered in God and still relatable and still wanted to be consumed. Nefarious, a great example of this. Is that a uh, your typical, shh, we can't go this way, we can't speak of the devil, we can't use language or this, that, or anything else? No. It is literally, we're going to hit you in the face with how culture really is today, but with a message about the righteousness of God and how we have to get back to the reverence for God, which means fear of God in our culture again. And only by that can we restore liberty, can we restore back what is good, true, and beautiful. Otherwise, we are 
just going to continue to be gobbled up by the spirit of the age. And it's going to gobble every last bit of the institutions, every last bit of the things that we know, the structure, the apparatus, uh, apparatuses or apparatus of church and this and that and everything else. And then we're going full on French Revolution. And that is a super dark place if you know your history. I don't want to go there. I would much rather restore the order, if you will, that gives us God, family, country, if you will, if you can put it that simply. That's where I would like to go. But again, I want you to think about this. I want you to critically think through these few questions. Are we seeking relevance within the vox populi or with God? with our messaging, with our attempts at culture, with our attempts at this, that, or everything else. Are, is it about God or is it about becoming popular? Now, that doesn't mean that everything, again, that is popular be, and centered in God is bad. No, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, that's a really good thing. But I also want you to think, are we heading for a French Revolution-style situation here in America? Red state, blue state, um, go to your corners. That's kind of where we are right now, right? And it's thoughts that have come into my head. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But I also think of render unto Caesar what is Caesar and render unto God what is God. I also think about that. In so much as let the state be the state and let God be the God of you and and the church and you be okay with that, knowing that potentially you might suffer. But what is actually important? Your faith, your family, and maybe that's why you need to stay where you're staying or, or not everybody can pick up and do or not everybody is in the same boat as you are or thinks the same way, and what happens if this state turns this way or that way? There's no guarantees of that. Is it a great separation we seek or a great revival that we seek? So those are just some things to critically think through, and I would love to know your answers. You, again, on X, at The Coppin Show, Facebook, at The Coppin Show. Let me know your thoughts. I, I seriously want to know your thoughts on Vox Populi, Vox Dei. I really would love to know. But 
it is a WTF Wednesday. Before we get into the crux of WTF, um, I want you to remember the the last little gifts that you need to get. You need to get them now for Christmas if you are of that gift-giving thing. And if you have a coffee lover, one of the best gifts that you can give them is coffee that focuses on coffee, not messaging, not over-marketing, but under-delivering or mass batch roasting and, and all of those things. No. Go to our friends at coffeebrandcoffee.com where they care about the coffee and nothing else. The coffee, not your politics, not their politics. They've got a ton of really great flavors out there. Um, they've got some deals going on for your last-minute Christmas gifts, so check them out there. Coffeebrandcoffee.com. Enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKER at checkout for 10% off of your purchase. That's coffeebrandcoffee.com, promo code CRITICALTHINKER. Now, maybe this is WTF, or maybe this is something that we should get out of WTF. In fact, you know what? I Actually, I want to go to full-on WTF here. So let's go ahead with WTF Wednesday. <laughs> Is there anything more WTF over the last week or so than um, what was exposed by Elise Stefanik in her exchange with, um, it was Harvard Penn and MIT's presidents over the last week? I can't think of anything more WTF as we watched them try to obfuscate and couch and get technical. Now, there are technical nuances. There are law nuances and things of that nature when it comes to these private institutions, by the way, and their responsibilities under Title IX and their responsibilities under Civil Rights Act and this, that, and everything else. I totally understand that. But that's not where, where at least Stefanik was going, right? At least Stefanik was going more broadly culturally. You, you just can't simply say that calling for the genocide of, of Jews is abhorrent and that it's not really going to be tolerated in so much as speech codes of DEI tell us that certain things are not tolerated on campuses, but others are. Free speech for them, but not you, right? And that's ultimately, I think, where at least Stefanik was going with all of that, is the exposing of not just left-wing bias, but of DEI bias, Certain things have greater protections on college campuses. And if you speak to, uh, ill of those things with greater quote-unquote protections on college campuses, you're going to suffer. But those that are unprotected, quote-unquote, have less protection. It's either all or nothing. And that's really where I think at least Stefanik was attempting to go is that, hey, look, you've got a pattern here. But only certain things fit that pattern, right? But only certain things will fit the mold. Everything else suddenly becomes a, a worry about your Title IX free speech rights. Very interesting. But as last week turned into this week, as last Wednesday turned into Monday, what did we see? We knew that Penn was facing billions of dollars in... Um, defunding, if you will, right? The, the pledging of over a billion dollars gone. Harvard, 
the same thing. I'm not sure what's been going on at MIT because that that group has been largely silent, at least in terms of like how people have been looking at it. But at UPenn, um, the president's gone, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But at Harvard, as the weekend turned, was forced to deal with a dilemma because Dr. Claudine Gay wasn't just somebody on the hot seat because she couldn't just roundly condemn genocidal talk on her campus. And I'm going to talk about free speech in regards to that in just a moment. But Christopher Rufo and others went digging. And at first I had some druthers about this because this is vastly the target and the, well, the tactic, not the target, but the tactic of the left. Let's go digging into the way, way back machine and, and find anything that we can to attempt to destroy the enemy, quote unquote, right? To get them to bend the knee to your will, your will be done or else. That's really kind of where this comes from. So I, I struggle with that, but, but as I thought about this more, what did we see come out on Sunday, Monday here? Well, we saw claims of academic fraud and plagiarism and other academic charges. And I thought to myself, wait, this isn't actually an attempt to destroy for destruction's sake. Yes, it is true that they that they started digging into this background, probably in that regard, but they didn't assassinate her character per se they assassinated her academic credentials in a world in which we're supposed to care about those academic credentials right at the harvards the yales the ivy league the stanford's wisconsin uh, michigan you know university of virginia yada 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 right the elites of the elite universities and public institutions blah 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 we're supposed to that's what's holding them as elite, right? Their, their commitment to academic integrity and credentials and this, that, and everything else, right? I didn't attack her personal character, although it speaks to it. They attempted to shred her academic credibility. And they went after her for largely plagiarizing huge amounts of her quote-unquote, academic research. Which then, in turn, by Monday into yesterday, meant Harvard had a time for choosing. Academic integrity, or DEI. Either you stand up and say, we're going to stick by the standards of our academic integrity, or we don't care about that because we care most about diversity, equity, inclusion, and those individuals are going to get a pass on integrity because the intersectional pyramid and oppressor versus oppressed, right? Well, Harvard chose, and it chose to, quote-unquote, stand by Dr. Claudine Gay. Now, 
what we also need to know is that this morning we get word from the professor who, according to Christopher Rufo's reporting, was largely just literally lifted, put into a paper, never cited, never sourced, never quoted, never according to. That's the simple way around plagiarism, by the way, is as you're doing academic research and all of those things, it's very simple. Put them in quotation marks and say according to and footnote or whatever have you or footnote the entire paragraph or sentence or whatever else that you're lifting or paraphrasing so that you avoid that because everybody knows that you're not, that this is not your original work at that point in time. But that's not what Claudine Gay was doing while she was attempting to climb the academic ladder. Not at all. Harvard chose DEI over its own integrity. So I have some questions about this as we talk on this WTF Wednesday because I can't think of anything more WTF than Harvard saying to your to academics. Uh, wh- what? So very simply this. I think of it this way. As we look at this total picture, which is worse? Refusing to say that the call for genocide is harassment and targeted harassment at that or passing off others' work as your own in an attempt to be able to climb the academic ladder because you couldn't do it without that. Now, I personally believe that the plagiarism story is actually the bigger story here and here's why. Am I or am I not much more of a free speech absolutist than anything else? Now, at least as close as possible to absolute free speech. Again, the immediacy of calling for genocide, probably a problem. Again, the immediacy of somebody saying to your face, I'm going to murder you, a problem. We have longstanding jurisprudence on that being illegal let alone against free speech or whatever else have you. But here's the reality. I don't have to like any of your speech. I don't have to uplift it. I don't have to platform it. I don't have to participate in any speech I do not like, period, point blank. I can even get behind this very microphone, right? And I can do what? Counter the speech. I could lead protests. I can lead counter protests. I can, you know, do all sorts of things to counter your speech. But plagiarism speaks to the heart of the issue on many campuses in this country. And it's one word, integrity. You can argue that integrity has flown the coop long ago all you want, by the way. And you might actually be right that this idea of academic superiority or academic integrity being a thing worthy of being upheld on college campuses waved bye-bye a long time ago. And you might very well be right. But this is at the places that are supposed to care about that idea, those topics, that ethical conundrum, if you will, or whatever you want to put it. There's there These places, MIT, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Cornell, Brown, Ivy League, Penn, MIT, Stanford, Wisconsin, all of that, right? These are the places that are supposed to care about that word and that value the most. 
Now, if you dismantle that idea, if you don't have belief in the integrity, in the value of the institution or the degree that you're supposed to get, in its conference of confidence in your intellect, in your knowledge of subject or whatever have you, right? Where does it leave the entire system of academia? If there's no integrity in those that are teaching, those that are, and by the way, I'm not talking about moral integrity from the perspective of anything outside of the academic world. I want to be careful on this because, look, there are tons of immoral people who have absolute authority on subjects, who have absolute integrity when it comes to said subject, 100%. I am simply talking about scholarly research, um, academic credentialing, um, superiority when it comes to expertise and subject matter. (coughs) I have a very serious set of questions here. If you don't have belief in the integrity of those who are giving away the degrees, conferring confidence in in your abilities in engineering or math or science or English or this or that or whatever it might be, right? Again, where does that leave the entire system? Now, could this actually be a positive as well? I don't know. Maybe it's time that we burned the entire system of academia to the ground. Maybe the institution of college or university is one that's actually outdated, given the world of knowledge and AI and all of that stuff, or at least the potential knowledge that can be at our very fingertips, right? Given that world, maybe the institution is one that is outdated. Would we be better off focusing on teaching real big skilled subject matters at a much more micro level instead of a macro level? When the rest of it can be things that we learn along the way, but the values of a liberal education, Andrew. Right. But those things are at our fingertips. We don't need to sit in a 40-minute lecture to tell us that, uh, you know, Upton Sinclair was a muckrake journalist. You, you literally can go look it up for yourself. Now, would this benefit society over literally the trillions of dollars in student debt seeking out what? Affirmation that a degree from some of these types of places or their exp Exposing people to just absolute vile rut gut, you know, I, I, what's the value? What is the value in seeking out that affirmation? Well, you can put a dollar value on some of this, right? Because the alleged um, value of, of a degree from Harvard or these Ivy League institutions or whatever have you is in the networking and the ability to become part of the elite for some. Again, would this be a value over? Would the dissolution of the academia infrastructure, if you will, be a benefit over the trillions of dollars in student debt that is unnecessary by and large, given the world in which we live? The doors that it might actually open only to find out that you are what? Actually unqualified and you need to learn 
the job. You need to learn everything all over again while on the job. Could this also be a positive in that we go back to teaching the skills that are needed, right? Like to be a doctor, to be uh, an engineer, the real skills that are needed in very skilled jobs, architects, whatever have you. Instead of just being exposed to the ramblings of quote-unquote tenured and thus um, super knowledgeable professors who actually don't know what they're talking about because they're just like Dr. Claudine Gay, having climbed the ladder, plagiarizing and BSing their way through it all. And they're largely actually unserious thinkers to begin with. People like Ibram X. Kendi and his ilk, critical race theory and that BS ideology. Now, as we think through all of those things, I also ask you this. Do you also find it funny like I do that at Penn, the white woman was sacrificed? I mean, resigned. Because money was talking and whiteness needs to walk. The white woman pushed out the door, but yes, the billions of dollars uh, they were saying bye-bye to, right? We're not pledging this. We're not doing this until you correct your course which is part and parcel of the idea that we can actually affect change in this culture because money is going to talk to these universities, except for when it doesn't, when it comes to DEI and you've got the absolute clash of DEI and academic integrity, which one's going to win? Harvard answered for us. Penn answered for us because they were able to sacrifice at the altar of DEI and win their own way about that's the reality that's in front of us. Now, speaking of WTF and this entire Harvard-MIT situation, when we talk about culture, when we talk about the gut rot, when we talk about how it's literally academic integrity versus DEI, that also applies to our broader culture, right? And over the weekend, SNL had an attempt or had a place at the table to satirize this situation that was ripe for satirization. Um, you tell me if this is funny. Now I'll turn it over to mega superstar Elise Stefanik from New York, who's been pacing the hallways listening to Lose Yourself by Eminem. <laughs> Miss Stefanik. Thank you, chairwoman. Now I'm gonna start screaming questions at these women like I'm Billy Eichner. I'm sorry, what? Yes, Arno is calling for the genocide of Jews against the Code of Conduct for Harvard. Well, it depends on the context. <gasps> what? <laughs> that can't be your answer, you pen lady. Same question, yes or no? Well, we are serious about stopping all forms of hatred, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. Not <laughs> the second one. MIT lady, chance to steal. And keep in mind, if you don't say yes, you're gonna make me look good, which is really, really hard to do. So I'll ask you straight up, do you think genocide is bad? Could I submit an answer in writing at a later date? Am I winning this hearing? Somebody pinch me. 
Ms. Stefanik, your time is up. Oh, thank God. That was wholly, largely unfunny. Just largely unfunny. The person they chose to satirize was the person exposing anti-Jewish genocidal talk on college campuses. That's the person that was worthy of your vitriol, your mockery. That's who it was. Not the individuals who said, mm, yeah, we, we kind of, sort of, depending on the context, in what context, in what world, personally, morally, that's what she was asking. What are your codes of conduct? What are your codes of conduct? Yes, what are your codes of conduct on the campuses, but also your own personal? But yeah, at least the phonic is the one that gets made fun of. Not, not the three individuals. They're the ones that could easily have been satirized here, and rightfully so. But DEI, but oppressed versus oppressor, but the things that these people have learned throughout their academic careers. I say burn it to the ground. Speaking of that, um, Dana White says burn your boycott to the ground when it comes to Bud Light. Let me tell you what, if you consider yourself a patriot, right, you're a patriot, you should be drinking gallons of Bud Light. Believe me when I tell you. Wait, wait, wait. I should be boycott. I should be boycotting Bud Light. Gallons of Bud Light. You should have Bud Light drums stacked up in your garage and drinking it right out of the keg. Uh They are way more aligned with you than most of these other beer companies are. That I guarantee you. Take it from somebody who's in the know, who does business with beer companies. You are way more aligned with Bud Light than you are with any other beer company. I mean, they didn't come into partnership with you by accident. No. Obviously. We had multiple bidders on the table. Did they seek you out? We had multiple bidders on the table. They were one of them. And as I, you know, History has shown me with relationships that I've had with other beer companies. I, who lean more this way, yep. I, who consider myself a patriot, I don't go crazy over the whole patriot thing, but I consider myself a proud American. I'm happy to be an American. I love this country. And you are way more aligned with Anheuser-Busch than you are with other beer companies. I took the millions, so you need to shut the hell up as UFC Fans. Now, some people will say, well, that's a niche sport. No, it's not. It's literally selling out arenas all over the globe. It is one of the largest, most profitable sports in the entire world to the point where it literally is able to suck up WWE, okay? Uh, a company that's been privately held and then publicly traded for, God, 60 years now? And it's become one of the global forces in quote-unquote entertainment by a huge margin. Uh, no, this isn't the niche sport. By the way, these people who are ardent followers of everything UFC are really loyal brand people. They will drink the Modelo. That was the previous Constellation brands, although it's different here in the United States than it is elsewhere. But anyway, shut up and uh, stop your boycott because I took millions of dollars and uh, we need to pay that back. So... Also, I'm a patriot, but I, I don't want to go too far to say that I might be conservative. Shh. And also, Kid Rock, Donald Trump, everybody else is going to line up behind Dana White because Dana White lines up behind them. But I digress on all of that. So the one successful situation that we have had from a perspective of cultural 
boycott, from culture, not politics, from culture. The one thing that's been super successful, the one thing that has been, nah, brah, we're not doing it. And trust me, Bud Light wanted every bit of paying that money, that sweet, sweet money to regain some sort of cachet in the marketplace. And by the way, to the people who say, yeah, but AB InBev, that's only like 10, 15% of its entire uh, portfolio. You are correct. But that 10% has had a significant impact, a very significant impact on its total bottom line. When 10% of your entire portfolio goes tits up, that's a problem for your entire bottom line. I'm just going to tell you that. But now it's shut up and drink Bud Light. What are we even doing? Now, I do also have this for you. Um, you want to know exactly how unserious we are in our education system and how just dumbass we are as a society? I present to you this. Yes, what you are watching right now is uh, some people at a, looks like a Asian vendor or whatever. They're attempting to pour into the spout of the mustard bottle, and, and that wasn't going to work. And then they, they turned it upside down. And thank God the manager just looks at these people, sighs, and says, no, no, you dumbasses, no. They literally attempt the the you know the the yellow um, mustard bottle, the plastic one, to pour the mustard into the small, tiny little hole on the top, and then the one other person goes, wait, 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 I got an idea. They take it off. Ah, you brilliant! And then put it on and and use it like a like a funnel. Thankfully, the manager or whoever that was running that area just shook his head and said, you dumbasses. Because I feel like that's exactly what I like to say to society writ large right now. But, but, I remember these words. Be safe, be smart, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals, and as always, Matthew 547.